Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. I'll let you find Daniel and explain kind of where we're at in the series. First, uh, my name is Adam Griffin. I'm the lead pastor here. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, I would love to meet you at some point, maybe today, even after service. Uh, but it's my delight and honor to get to serve in this position. It's been a very exciting day for Eastside Community Church. For anybody who came back to the 3.30 or 1.30 service, I got about maybe five, seven minutes into the sermon before everybody's phones went off at the same time saying that there was a tornado in the area. And so I kept vamping for a moment while we figured out what to do. And then we all went downstairs and had uh, lifesavers together and uh, minty fresh breath while we waited out the tornado and then dismissed. So uh, often at the 3.30 service, I am giving you my well-rehearsed 1.30 sermon, uh, but not today. You're getting it for the first time. So buckle up. That's right. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for being on my team, Luke. What, are, you're moving away how soon? Don't move. Just stay, Luke. Stay forever. Two more weeks? It's too soon. Also, for you guys streaming the 3.30, welcome. Normally, we're wheels off in here because you're not watching, but today we'll hold it together for, you, for your sake. Daniel in the lion's den, for our series, More Than a Story, the reason we're talking through this is there's a lot of stories you're familiar with in the Bible, uh, but the, the kind of fabled lesson that our culture has taken from it is not the lesson that the Bible actually has in there for us. And so we're talking about stories that you've probably heard of, like Daniel in the lion's den, but trying to remind you what is the, the purpose that the Lord would have for that for his people, for Christians. And so we've got just a couple weeks left in the series, but I'm really excited about today. You've probably heard Daniel in the lion's den before. You probably grew up with it in Sunday school or had a terrible youth pastor dress up as a lion at some point and do something ridiculous with it. But we are going to read not just the first three quarters of the chapter, but we're going to read the whole chapter, including the violent part that was probably left out of your childhood, felt bored, and get all the way to the end of the story. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here's the story. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of which Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a group, a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. 
And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting with no diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Dave, Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a great story. I mean, it's a great story for kids. Almost all of it is really great for kids until they throw the kids in the lions. You just kind of skip that part with the kids like, and then Daniel get out and everybody's safe. And that's pretty much the end, you know? And then maybe you skip to the song at the end about how great God is and how beautiful it is, but it's an incredible story. I could talk all day about, I mean, if we were in Bible study on this, we could not do this all in one lesson to talk about what is all the history of this and what does this mean and Medes and Persians and why throw them in at the end and what do we get from the stone and we'll, we'll get to some of it. Some of it we'll get to, but really we just have time for three pretty simple things. Two things I want to take note of that we see in Daniel that I think are good for our church to be discipled in and to think about. And then one question about God that I think is really beautiful in this chapter that I want to talk through with you. So first, uh, two things about Daniel. The first thing is, towards the beginning of the story, is Daniel's incredible integrity. Daniel's just profound integrity. If you look at the beginning of the story, there's a group of people who want to get Daniel in trouble. And they say about him, We'll never find anything wrong with Daniel unless it's about his God. Do you know how rare that is in the Bible? Do you know how rare, like most of your Bible is about screw-ups, it's about morons, it's about sinners, it's about people who make crazy bad mistakes. And there's Jesus, there's Jesus walking in perfection. And every once in a while it talks about a blameless follower. And while Daniel was not sinless, He's a sinner like the rest of us. Daniel had incredible integrity. And in this chapter, you get kind of a, a little glimpse of what it'd be like to be in a workplace where you have incredible integrity. One thing, the first thing you may notice about Daniel's integrity is that it did not make him popular. That to have integrity at work does not always mean that everyone around you will love your integrity. When you don't want to join in the gossip, that doesn't make you the most popular coworker. When you don't want to badmouth the boss, or you are the boss, it doesn't always make you the most popular coworker. If you want to walk in integrity, sometimes that means your company doesn't make as much because you miss out on profit because maybe you don't cheat the client or cheat the customer. When you are walking in integrity, it can make you very unpopular. And that's Daniel's story. Some people were like, let's kill this guy. Why? Well, he's too clean. He's too full of integrity. He's prospering. He's taking the best position. And instead of enjoying the fruits of that integrity, they wanted it removed and destroyed. So integrity will sometimes cost you popularity, will sometimes cost you profit. And yet this is who our church is called to be. We're called to be people of integrity. So why aren't we? When I was a high school teacher, there was a group of students, a whole group of them who cheated together, they cheated on an exam together. And uh, we busted them because like most cheaters, the reason they cheated, they weren't super intelligent. And so it was very easy to catch them. They had all cheated except for this one kid, this one boy, all the other boys had cheated except for this one boy. And I said, well, why didn't, why didn't you cheat? Why didn't you cheat with them? And they said, oh, he's, he's Mormon. It's like, oh, 
I was like, well, he's, what are y'all? Like, he's, Mormons don't cheat. What are y'all? And they were like, well, I'm Catholic. I'm non-denominational. It was like all Christians. But they were like, but the Mormon, he won't cheat. But all of us, we were, we were in on it. And they're like, to them, that made perfect, logical, moral sense. The Mormon's not going to cheat. But all of us who follow Christ over here, yeah, no problem. Why is that? Why is it? that a Christian would think, well, God will forgive me, or this is a small thing compared to large sins, that we would think we could justify a lack of integrity. I've told you guys this before. It's one of my more embarrassing elder meetings ever when I was an elder at the Village Church. But if there's one thing I want to be really good at as your pastor is being vulnerable, is being honest. Uh, Eastside is a church plant still. We don't have all the flashiest programs and facilities and we don't have the best time of days to meet and we don't have all that, but I hope what we do have is integrity. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, that when I was an elder, and I know it's unbelievable, and when I was a pastor in seminary, that there were two exams in one day on which I cheated that I had online classes at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary that had questions on the exam that I, in my rationalized mind, thought that is not a fair question. I'm going to look up the answer to that. And I did, and I put in the answer, found the right answer online. Internet's incredible. And I put in the right answer, passed those exams, and I could have said nothing and no one would have ever known. And a few weeks later, I told my wife, uh, I need you to know that I cheated on some exams a couple weeks ago and confessed to her, asked for forgiveness. And then I confessed to my professors. Then I confessed to the elders at the church and uh, was not expecting mercy, was not asking for it. I know that like the penalty for cheating on an exam in seminary can be expulsion, and I knew that. Uh, didn't make it a fun conversation, but I told them, you need to know I looked up answers on this exam, cheated, and the first professor that replied was super gracious and was like, you know what, we're going to figure this out. And the second one was less gracious <laughs> and just like, well, you failed. And, um, and it, honestly, that was a just punishment. Failed that exam and had to make up for that grade in order to pass. It was mercy that I wasn't expelled, honestly. But integrity in that moment meant a decision between no one will ever know but me and the Lord and I can get away with this or being honest after the fact. Integrity, I'd already, it gone out the window as far as being honest in my exam. So the next step had to be, what is it, what does a man who makes mistakes look like in this situation? And honestly, that's what I want to be as your pastor. It's what I want us to be as a church is not a group full of people who think I have to be perfect, but a group of people who can say, when I make mistakes, how am I going to handle them? A group of people who say, like, my Lord is so good and so forgiving, but that doesn't mean I'm going to treat his mercy cheaply and say, I'm going to make these mistakes and who cares? I want to be people of integrity. I would love it if our stories were the story of Daniel. Like, I bet, like some of you, when, if we're thinking about your dating relationships, I could go all day about the lack of integrity I had when I was dating. I mean, if we wanted to go around and raise hands for how many of you guys broke up via text or how many of y'all just stopped calling somebody or how many just wanted to make it easy on them by stop talking to them until they went away or how many of you tried to manipulate a situation in order to meet a selfish need without thinking about the fact that the person you were dating is a human being created the image of God. 
But if we can be a church who dates with integrity, that means this is a place to ask somebody out and it's an okay place to say no and not call them a creep. It's an okay place to break up and still be at the same church. I know that is hard, but I wanna be a church that walks in such integrity that we treat each other like brothers and sisters if we're not husband and wife. And if we break up and we're still here, that we still are each other's best reference. Hey, still care about you. You don't have to be awkward. I want to be married couples who walk in integrity, who can so thoroughly love their spouse that the idea of a relationship with somebody else wouldn't even cross our mind. And when it does, we'll walk in such integrity to ask for forgiveness and be restored. But my prayer is that restoration wouldn't be necessary because there'd be such integrity in our marriages. I want to be employees and employers who walk in such integrity that it's so easy to put the name of Christ on my life, say, I am a Christian in a workplace. When I was a Christian teacher in a public school, people would try to make it awkward all the time. And I would always tell people, I live in America, which means I am allowed to both be a Christian and a teacher at the same time. And no one can tell me not to be a Christian in this country. And yet there are other places in the world where that's not the case. But here, it's true. Whatever your job is, you can be a Christian here. And we don't have to set our Christianity aside in order to accomplish our task. If we do, then we lack integrity. I want to be such people of integrity. I want, as an employer now, as a pastor now, I want your staff to love working at Eastside. I want their kids who are growing up with their parents on the staff to not go, the church, my parents always had to choose between the church and me. I don't want this church to be competition for any kid's love and affection. I want to walk in such integrity and at the same time be men and women who love God so thoroughly that we also love our families and that we also serve our spouses. And I want workplaces, dating relationships, marriages. I want these things to be so full of integrity. And then... Personally, I want your life in secret to be a life of integrity. When you think no one is watching or when you think I can just delete my browser history or when you think the client will never know or no one will have to think about this, I want us to remember the call of the Christian is to walk in repentance where we've made mistakes and walk in integrity because that's what we do to follow Christ. What a great example of that in Daniel. And then you see after that, You see that even though they make a law that says your life is on the line if you break this and it's about your God, he does not give in to that. So the second thing I want to learn about Daniel, if we talked about his integrity, the second thing is his grit. Daniel did not give up easy. That takes grit, G-R-I-T. A couple years ago, a woman wrote a great book called Grit, Angela Duckworth. It's a fantastically interesting book. It's a secular book about history, about, or like research into not giving up. And she talks about one of the longest running research projects in American history on this group of Harvard men that they brought in and they had them hop on treadmills at a severe angle and run extremely fast for as long as they could up to five minutes and see how long they would go before they would give up. And then judging, looking at the men based on how quickly they gave up, then they, they follow them longitudinally to see what will, will that play out in life? Will the men who didn't give up easy, will they do better in life? And they followed them into their 80s and 90s. And some pretty incredible research showing that if your aptitude, if your test scores are off the charts, 
If you're crazy athletic, you're so strong and so fast that those are not nearly as good a predictors about your success as how quickly you'll give up at something. Because being the smartest and being the strongest does not mean you have the most grit. Like you won't give up. When things get hard for you, how many failures does it take before you give up and walk away? How much resistance do you face before you fold? When you see Daniel, seems like it'd be a small thing. Hey, just pray in private, man. But it says he did what he always did. He went and prayed with his windows open. He wasn't willing to compromise his faith, even though it became illegal. And if there's one thing I want us to take away from Daniel's story, other than integrity, it's that I would love our church to be full of people who do not compromise what they believe because they face a little resistance. And I want our church to be full of men and women who do not give up praying and gathering and worshiping and serving and, as, and ascribing to God glory just because it becomes unpopular or because it becomes difficult. Daniel is a man of incredible grit. In the book, Angela Duckworth talks about this kind of 10-question survey she would give to, to West Point uh, admissions with people that have been admitted to West Point, which it's a narrow group of people that have gone through months and months and months of stuff. And still a bunch of people, when they get into West Point within two months, would drop out. And so they were going, how do we predict who's going to drop out and who's not? And she would test these people on grit. And honestly, I, I took the exam. It's available in the book. I did not score well. I am not the most gritty person. Now, there are some things I will not give up at. I think in some categories in my life, like uh, a faithfulness to my wife is not hard to be gritty in for me. It's, it's just not. My commitment to this job, I don't wake up every day wishing I was doing something else. I'm so committed to it. But there are other things, uh, other pieces of exercise equipment, which I am not as committed to. There are other, other aspects of my life that I would get into and then quit, hobbies that I would quit. I remember one day, and it was only one day, that I decided I'm going to pick up bass guitar. There's only four strings. I bet it's easier than regular guitar. And then I went to my friend Mike who played bass guitar, and I said, hey, can you teach me how to play? He played in front of me. I went, you know what? I'm good. I've had enough. <laughs> it looked hard. And when something looks hard, sometimes I just walk away. We were joking this week. I don't know if you remember the demotivational, demotivational posters they used to have. Maybe it's still around. But my favorite of all time, Isaiah, you remember we were talking about that this week. Uh, my favorite one had this uh, tennis player who's screaming on the ground in the subtitle. It said, winners never quit and quitters never win. But those who never win and never quit are idiots. And I thought, man, that's, that is so true. And I feel like I'm that guy all the time. Like, well, I would never win, so I'm quitting. And yet in Daniel, we see him make a priority in his faith life that seems like it'd be a simple thing to skip. I mean, you're talking about your life here. You're talking about lions eating you. And he goes, yeah, I'm not going to skip my prayer life. I'm not going to skip it. What incredible grit. And what would our life look like if we reflected that? What if we had our priorities so in order we were unshakable? What if it wasn't so easy to uh, skip a home group or uh, stop attending a church or uh, move from city to city because we were so committed somewhere, because we were so committed to something that if we were just, we were just in, 
We just looked at a community and said, I'm not going anywhere. That's our church's commitment. That may not be your personal one. Maybe you're here for a little bit. That's fine. Jump in with us for as long as you're here. But Eastside, we talked about this in the first sermon of the year, and I'll talk about it again significantly next week. This church is not looking to go somewhere else, and we're not one foot in the door and one foot out. We're committed here to this city. My family is committed to that mission. And I pray more and more of us are. I, I want to build something here that's special, and it's not a facility. I want to build a group of people that are fiercely committed to Christ. And that's going to mean not giving up just because things get hard. That's going to mean dealing with the fact that some of us are going to make mistakes, but all of us pressing each other towards integrity, repenting where we fail, caring for each other when it gets difficult. Church life is not always easy life. Sometimes we get to do fun stuff. Justice and Caitlin just got married a couple weeks ago. Awesome. Congratulations. It's a big deal. Good fist bump time. It's great. That's awesome. Sometimes church is funerals. Sometimes church is sicknesses and diagnoses that are not fun. Sometimes it's the worst moment. But that's why we have each other, guys. We're not in this for just the birthday parties. We're not in this for the best friends. We're in this because we're a church. We're a body of Christ who's going to be gritty and integritous. That's who I want to be. In my household, when we talk about the Bible with my young kids, nine, seven, and five, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore, one of the recurring themes we've had lately is training in spiritual grit. So some of the phraseology we've started to use in our house is I'll ask my kids, do Griffin boys follow the crowd? And my boys know the answer for that, that I want to hear back from them, is only if the crowd is following Jesus. Because over and over again in the Bible, this is what you see. The crowd is wrong. The crowd is wrong over and over and over again. The crowd is wrong about going to Zacchaeus' house. The crowd is wrong about crucifying Jesus. The crowd is wrong about selling Joseph into slavery. The crowd is wrong about fighting Goliath. The crowd is wrong about throwing Daniel into the lion's dead. So do griffins just go with what everybody thinks is right? Or do we go with God? And so over and over again, as we're teaching the Bible to my kids, I'm trying to teach them griffins don't give up because Christians don't give up because our God will never leave us or forsake us. And we're with him. And he's unchanging. And where he disagrees with the world, he's right. Always. 100% of the time. So are we going to fail? Yeah. But we're not going to wimp out. We're going to fail. But we're not going to get wimpy. And then the third thing, so that's Daniel's integrity. That's Daniel's grit. And then I think a question worth asking that I think is really interesting in the story. Because this is a telling of, of our relationship with God that I hear about all the time is at what point in this story does God get involved? Think about this for a second. At what point in Daniel and the lion's den does God get involved? Because I'll tell you, though most people, if you're not thinking about it, you think the story is about Daniel and these guys who don't get along. Daniel gets thrown in the lions, and then God gets involved, and he comes in and rescues him from the lions. That's, that's part of who our God is. That's not all our God is. We think sometimes like what we need is a supernatural intervention of our God in order to handle our circumstances as if God is not involved unless an angel shows up and unless the lion's mouths get closed. But here's what's true about our God. God is involved from verse one of this story 
He's involved in Daniel's life when Daniel is a man of integrity who's prospering. He's involved in Daniel's life when nobody likes Daniel. You may remember Daniel is in exile. We mentioned that in the story. He's not from this place. He's actually been removed from home. That's why he's praying, facing Jerusalem, kind of wishing he was back there. He's a person who is unfamiliar to this territory in the sense of he doesn't want to be there. And God's with him. And God's involved in his life. God's involved in his life when he prospers. And God is doing something in his life when he's being rejected by everyone around him. God is with him when the king wants him to be one of his favorite people. And he's with him when he's by himself in the bottom of the den, surrounded by a bunch of lions who, if not for God, would devour him. And this is what's so good for us. So often I'll talk to Christians, people from Eastside, and we'll be asking for God's intervention, which is a great prayer. Let's pray for God to do something miraculous. If we're in the lion's den right now, surrounded by things that want to devour us, let's pray for God's intervention. But let's not treat God like he hasn't been involved in every aspect of your life all along. That if you're prospering right now, God is doing something in your life. If everyone around you despises you right now, don't start to think, well, where did God go? God is doing something in your life right now. God is doing something in your life right now. He doesn't have to just show up as an angel and shut lions' mouths for him to be involved in your life. He's doing something in your life right now. You look around at your family or your roommates or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You look around at your job or your school. Look around at your life. I promise you, God is doing something. What he's doing, it may be calling you to repentance to say, I've made a mess of what I'm in the middle of. And I want to see better. You may have even profited off your sin. You may have gotten what you wanted financially or relationally. And it might be giving that up now, but God is doing something in your life. It might be that things are going so well and you might start to get convinced that it's because something special about you. You did things right and therefore you're getting good things. And if you read the book of Daniel, you can be tempted to go, see, he's in charge of the country because of his integrity. Remember, he's hated because of his integrity. He's thrown in the lion's den because of his integrity. He, it's not just that he prospers, it's also that things get worse. And God never stops being involved in his life. God didn't forget about Daniel. God didn't forget when he was unpopular. God didn't forget when he was rejected. And did God supernaturally intervene? Yeah, it sounds like he did. And can you imagine a night in the lion's den overnight with the angel of the Lord? I bet it was the best night of Daniel's life. The pit of despair, rejected and alone, surrounded by lions that's seeking to devour him. And he gets to spend the night with the angel. What a sweet moment. The moment that many of us would go, where is God? And Daniel says, well, I was blameless and I trusted him. And he saw me through and the king sings this incredible true song. This incredible song that his, his kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion will have no end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders. 
he who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And it's just as true for you that you have been saved in Christ from the power of the lion who seeks to devour. And while in two weeks we'll talk more about how this connects to our story about Christ, the illusions are so easy to see here. That when they took the stone away from the den and expected to find somebody dead or gone, instead they found somebody alive. And that when that person came out, they sang praises saying, God rescues from the power of sin and death. And how true has that been? In Daniel and the lion's den, how true is it now? The story is not just a simple kid story about, hey, just trust God and everything will be okay. It's trust God even if everybody else doesn't like you. It's trust God even if everything's going really terribly. It's trust God even if you've been given authority. And it's trust God even if you're in exile, even if you're not where you want to be, trust God. That's the story of Daniel. And trust God in the midst of the lion's. So I want to pray for us that we'd be a people of integrity, a people who don't give up easy, and a people who trust this God and understand that he's doing something right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us and so gracious. In the sending of your son, Jesus Christ, you've redeemed, you've rescued, you've, you've done uh, more and more clearly even than we see in Daniel chapter 6, but not less than this, Lord. And so I pray that the people of Eastside would be people of integrity, that we would uh, date and work in integrity, that we'd be married in integrity, lead our families in integrity, that we would uh, have roommates and treat them with integrity. I pray that we would just be honest people about where we make mistakes and that we'd be the people that if you're going to find something wrong with me, it's because I trust Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that even facing resistance and even facing failure, we would not give up easily and that we'd recognize that you are doing something right now. And so, Lord, the fact that you are, and I believe that, I pray that you would reveal that to us. Open our eyes to what you're doing in our circumstances. We're so quick to ask why, and sometimes the answer comes, Lord, and sometimes the answer is so satisfying. And if it's not for us right now, Lord, we still trust you. But, Lord, if you would, help us see what are you doing in this church? What are you doing in this city? Help us be fiercely committed to it. Let us do it with the utmost integrity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.